0: You have accessed Entry 562.JB0409, Certificate Number 21795. The Halifax Explosion. Happy
1: uh, Christian holiday season to you, Ken.
0: Yes, let's put the Christ back in Christian holiday season. In good, my opinion. Good old
1: Christmas holiday, Christian holiday season. Are you
0: full of the spirit of, of
1: goodwill jing, and jing, merriment? Jing, 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 jing. I am. We had plans uh, to go to Germany this year to mm. see the the uh, Christian holiday uh, they, that is best done by Germans.
0: Oh, they've got markets for they it? They do. They
1: roast ch- literally roast chestnuts on open fires. They've got Tannenbaums,
0: which uh, they call they Christmas trees. Their they Christmas tree earned
1: they have uh, they have all those like weird little markets where you can buy magic tricks made out of uh, matches,
0: and they've got something where you light a candle and it makes a wooden helicopter spin, and that Love celebrates that. the
1: birth of our Lord. Love that they have cuckoo clocks, which they have all year long, but they look great at Christmas. Our uh, Christmas, Jesus comes out. <laughs> cuckoo. <laughs> he's not cuckoo. He's swaddled. His fa- his famous line. Cuckoo. Uh, but we didn't go to Germany because of the uh, the ongoing coronavirus issue and also coronavirus has made us into incredibly lazy people. You seem to manage to still get up and travel with your family. And I guess we did drive across the country but going
0: to Germany just seemed like it's mostly just cabin deal. fever. Yeah. Well yeah, I mean it is an ordeal for sure. I like how it's now the ongoing coronavirus. Yeah, ongoing coronavirus. It used to be the novel coronavirus.
1: No, now it's the not so <laughs> novel anymore. Super is it? boring coronavirus. But I I love uh, I love christmas overseas as you know everywhere Um, do you love christmas in uh burma (laughs) i do christmas in burma is incredible i've never spent a christmas in burma uh, i have spent a christmas in los angeles and that's a terrible place to spend christmas it really really is have you been there for christmas
0: but mostly because it's a terrible place to spend
1: any day. <laughs> no, that's mean. It's really weird to go to to California at Christmas time. I don't like warm weather Christmases, honestly. Even Hawaii at Christmas is more interesting because it's like, well, there's no pretending. There's not a pine right. tree in this place, so we just have to we have to laugh it off. And uh, but LA, well, LA has no sense of humor. This is a Christmas story. Oh, good. Today's Christmas story involves the deaths of thousands of people, but that's true of the original Christmas story, too, and all subsequent Christmases. That's true. Slaughter of the innocents. There's a lot of death in Christianity, as there is in everything, because everything dies, Ken.
0: Yeah. uh, I don't know. I was about to say there's no death on um, Barney and Friends, Hmm. which is true. Not that you see. I bet. You, I guess dinosaurs have been dead for 65 million years. <laughs> I bet if you
1: went back and looked at all the people that worked on Barney and Friends, a not insignificant number of them are probably
0: dead. Almost, yeah. Almost everybody that That show was, could be called Opioid Epidemic
1: and Friends yeesh. at this point. Almost everybody that was alive in Jesus's time is dead. You say almost. Uh, I think Kenneth Parcell is still alive <laughs> and still working at NBC. And Jesus
0: himself, of course. Right, of course, Jesus. The reason for the season.
1: Uh, but this is also a story that celebrates Canada.
0: Yay! I'm the
1: one of the two of the hosts here who uh, you know loves Canada and never
0: besmirches their reputation. I love Canada so much. I know. You Asterisk. Love them,
1: you love them enough that you
0: can that you can criticize them with love. I just criticize their. Um Non-Torontonian Blue Jay fans. I have a very small oh, segment of Canadians. I guess that I've I
1: never made that distinction. You feel like Blue Jay fans who are from Toronto are fine, and you yeah, love them. And they, they, they should support their they local squadron. Just stay if, there. If they want to
0: follow them on the road, that's fine. <laughs> but if you live two hours from Seattle, you should not be driving down to get loaded at a at a Blue Jays game. Right. Get drunk in Vancouver, dude.
1: Uh, this story also celebrates, in addition to celebrating Christmas and. Canada. Uh, it also celebrates the great city of Boston, which mm. um, <laughs> I was I was with you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> we also, you know, we give Boston the business here
0: because Canada on the is the, Canada is the Christmas of nations. It's so snowy and friendly, full of peace and goodwill, right? But I don't think of Boston as the Christmas of uh, of American cities. Yeah, right. It's the, not the Christmas of American cities is Saint <laughs> Paul, Minnesota. There you go. Yeah. The most Canadian of American state capitals. <laughs> You're right. Although
1: I think of Boston as like snowy, snowy Christmasy kind of place. New York at Christmas is great. There's no question about that. But yeah. New York gets to be number one in a lot of things.
0: And plus, in a lot of those cities, the snow immediately becomes kind of charcoal slush. Yeah, right, because they're still powering all of Boston with coal. Yeah, uh, at Ben Affleck's request. Uh-huh. What what you've been to Germany at Christmas time. What is the best German
1: Christmas city?
0: I actually have not oh, been to not Germany have, at oh. Christmas time. No. Uh it's it's my um my wife's family right. spent a lot of time in Europe because her she dad was born. In her Germany, dad was embassy, right? embassy yeah. Embassy. She's German born. So they have a lot of um they have a lot of deep ancestral connection to the Christmas markets or Christ Kindle market <laughs> I have no idea what they're called. But, you know, all, uh,
1: all the Scandinavian big cities are great
0: at Christmas time. Yeah, they all they all put candles in their hair. They do because it's Saint uh, Teresa's Day or yeah, something. They're all yeah, they're all worshiping those wreaths. Please don't they, send in any. Please make, don't send in any corrections of anything I'm saying. They
1: put a they put a cross on the wall, but it's the wreath that they're really kneeling before. It's
0: true. They love the wreath. They love yeah. the holly. They love the ivy. They do. They love the mistletoe. It all has magical uh, powers. It does. It does because- The druids knew and now the Vikings know. God is a stag who roams the forest. And he works through his best bushes, (laughs) which include the holly and the ivy. Right.
1: Um, We're going to look at a a part of Canada here that wasn't always a part of Canada. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is the province of Nova Scotia. Uh, New Scotland. right? So that's right, which is an island. Does it have
0: glens and fens and lochs and firths? It does. It
1: has all those things. That's why
0: it, they named it after Scotland. It makes its
1: own peaty... Uh, Ar- aroma? <laughs> it does have a peaty <laughs> aroma. It only joined Canada in 1867... Mm. Uh, Nova Scotia. So
0: there was already a Dominion of Canada, and then there was just British Nova Scotia sitting there? It was sitting out there. I mean, it was, you Doing know... Doing its own
1: thing. It, was, it had been tainted by all those Acadians that they had to keep chasing off of there.
0: My guess is it was named for Scotland because it reminded early settlers of, uh, of Scottish terrain, right?
1: It does. It does not have a ton of, at least in the northern part of it, it gets pretty
0: treeless and... My parents lived in a city in Utah coastly. named Alpine, and it was exactly why. Like, Swiss settlers to Utah were like... Oh, this is the part that looks most like uh, Switzerland.
1: I was thinking of Labrador when I said it didn't have trees. Of course, you know, the Nova Scotia is one of those uh, islands that it's kind of like a long island. It is it largely, although it seems long and when you go up it, it seems like you're going north. It really is an east-west island. Yes. And when you look at the relative latitude, Halifax is... Like, at the same latitude, I mean, I think Seattle is further north than Halifax. Oh, really? So, yeah, Seattle is at 47 degrees north. Halifax is only at 44. We're way north of Halifax. Yeah. But we think Take of it that as- Halifax. That's right. Boof. Um, we think of Halifax as being further north because, of course, it's north of anywhere in eastern United States.
0: I was Although, about no, 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 it's actually level with Maine. Yeah, that's right. Right. So- I was just, I was about to be mad at them for getting- um, all our social security numbers hacked, but then I remember that was Equifax. That, that was not Halifax's fault at all. Mm, that's a that's a joke that your dad would make if your dad
1: had a the ability to make an Equifax reference. That's that that is that's the joke that's going to make you be your dad in twenty years. I was already a dad. I was already so dad. Oh, you are a dad. That's right. But yeah, you're gonna your your version of being your dad is going to make the '60s look like the '50s. <laughs>
0: Halifax is also the home of uh, Hal Foster, the cartoonist who created Prince Valiant. And I was just reading this week about an attempt to put a statue of Hal Foster in the on the Halifax waterfront where our story will take place. Although I don't think it has actually happened, because cartoonists don't make good statues. What, are they, what is he going to be doing? He won't be astride a of horse.
1: No, that's right. Well, it, maybe they'll
0: maybe they'll put a statue of Prince Valiant instead. That he's would, like the
1: Jesus in the Thomas Jefferson Bible. He's just not really doing much. Just, <laughs> just he doesn't in actually table. he doesn't actually joust or do quests. He just draws <laughs> someone else who does. Now, this is the rare omnibus that is. Uh, we're going to be discussing something that is. It's a fairly well
0: known event, um, although not as well known as you would think, given its magnitude. Yeah, I think I asked it, somebody the other day if they'd ever heard of the Halifax explosion. They had no idea. Maybe
1: Canadians get it in school. Canadians, well, certainly the people of Nova Scotia know all about it, and the people of Boston also. Uh, but mm. you're right; it's not, it's not, um, it's not as well known as, say, the World Series. But uh, but maybe more <laughs> well known than the Port Arthur explosion, which actually rivals it. Um, but the Port Halifax explosion is, I think, maybe. Um, best known as the largest non-nuclear explosion in human history.
0: That is to this date. I was wondering if that included the this growth of crazy conventional daisy cutter bombs or whatever they're called. It nope, does. Still Halifax? So
1: um, the largest non-nuclear bomb in America's arsenal is an 11-ton bomb called the mother of all bombs that's its name the mother of all bombs or moab, moab for short yeah and it's um the mother of all bombs is about the same size as the chernobyl explosion i wouldn't
0: market it that way if i were them
1: it's it's probably four times bigger than the oklahoma city federal building bomb I, again would not brand it that not way. a great not a great marketing plan um, you may have seen a few years ago that video of the giant chemical plant explosion in China. Yes, um, that is a tw- that was a twenty ton explosion, so twice as big as the mother of all bombs. What about that Beirut one? Uh, so Beirut is a good example. So the so the biggest bomb that isn't. A nuclear bomb is the father
0: of all bombs, which is a Russian bomb.
1: Er, why do we have the Moab and they have the Foab? So we have the Moab, their Foab. We should
0: make beautiful love. Our bombs should get together and make little baby bombs instead of war. It's a forty-five tonner, so four times
1: bigger than the mother of all bombs. Yikes! Which is like this. It's how it's basically the proportion of a of an elephant seal. Right, the the or you know a to giant, what well to, <laughs> to like a like a boy elephant seal and a girl oh, elephant seal or a walrus or something, um, or
0: did that guy or Jaws from uh, Moonraker? He married a little small girl. Yep, yep. Uh,
1: and then the Beirut blast, which I think a, a lot of people would see as the most recent of these, Just because it was on YouTube. Yeah, was between three and four hundred tons. Oh, so that is a biggie. Uh, that's a big uh, That's boy. right. It's a big boy, um, but the Halifax explosion. Um, was
0: three thousand tons. Oh, so literally an order of magnitude bigger than Beirut, which was an order of magnitude bigger than uh, China or Oklahoma City or these weapons. That's right. So it's a three kiloton explosion,
1: um, and it actually on the list of largest explosions. Uh, the Port Chicago explosion is number three on that list,
0: which we have done an omnibus, right?
1: Yeah, we did the Port Chicago explosion. It was the one in San Francisco right. Bay, it was that, the Navy thing. Yeah, um, and that was about two kilotons. So uh, this is even larger than that. Now, by comparison to a nuclear explosion, the Trinity test, the first you know nuclear explosion in the in the desert, was twenty five kilotons. So there are much smaller nuclear bombs. But that gives you a sense, you know, like, little it's like...
0: It's like the land speed record changing from human to train. Yeah, basically. right, right. Okay.
1: Um, but it still is the largest non-nuclear explosion. And it was an explosion that
0: devastated the city of Halifax, killing 2,000 people. Wow. See, this is like, again, kind of a 9-11 scale disaster that I think the average American at least has never heard of.
1: Yeah, and not only did it kill 2000 people, but it uh it injured another 10,000 people. It destroyed 1600 houses leveled. Um as well as 12,000 houses and buildings damaged, some significantly damaged. Um it's like a hurricane level humanitarian crisis. It was a it was it was super gnarly and to make matters worse, it happened on December 6th. Uh, so it was also super duper cold, and you know, and Halifax. Even
0: though, even though Halifax is south of Seattle,
1: even though it's <laughs> south of Seattle, it is on the North Atlantic, yeah. and so super cold and snowy. Um, the story of the explosion: it was a uh, it was a shipping disaster, a boat. It was this is a boat party, uh, <laughs> and it happened in the middle of World War One. So Halifax is uh, there is a natural harbor in Halifax called Bedford Basin. And it's one of the largest and best sort of most protected harbors in the world. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it, it had played a large role in the, in the cross transatlantic shipping.
0: It's probably why Halifax exists, right?
1: It is. And it was, and in an era when uh, shipping from the United States tried to, you know, ships tried to make the, the transit across the Atlantic at its shortest point, a lot of ships from New York would go up to Halifax, fuel up, make the crossing and ships coming the other way from Europe to the United States would land in Halifax first, fuel up, get your, you know, get your act together, get some, get some fresh pajamas and then head South. So Halifax had a, did a booming business as a, as a transit point. Did we say or
0: imply that all of Nova Scotia is an Island? No, because it's not. No, it's not. All right. Only Cape Breton Island is an island. The rest is a peninsula barely connected to New Brunswick. And, you know, Nova Scotia was briefly, I mean, it was in, there was a
1: chance of it um, being part of the United States. Nova Scotia. Last year, Nova, they, <laughs> they voted down. The referendum was voted down. Nova Scotia and Boston have a long history uh, together as, you know, cities that um, – that were mutually supportive during a, during a whole, the, the, the American revolution, you know, there was the, the Nova Scotians did not uh, necessarily ally themselves with the, the British cause and super enthusiastically. Yeah. Um, Thanks you know, Nova Scotia. There's a, there's a long standing friendship between Nova Scotia and, uh, and America and Nova Scotians kind of like to your, to your, uh, Toronto question, Nova Scotians, uh, and particularly people from Halifax, who are known as... Yeah, I love this word.
0: Haligonians.
1: Yeah, because Oregonians are from
0: Orifax. Right. So, so why wouldn't Haligonians be from Halifax?
1: So Haligonians, I think, traditionally root for
0: Boston sports teams. Really? Yeah, there's a...
1: there's instead, you
0: know, of, instead of... But they don't, like, drive down to ruin stands because they're not Who cheering knows? for the blue jays maybe 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 they do but like <laughs> i think the patriots anytime
1: a boston sports team wins a trophy or a championship at some point they take the trophy to halifax huh. and they and it sits in state for a couple of days so all the haligonians can come and like see the stanley cup or the you know I love the, I love whatever. that
0: Boston has an overseas territory. Yeah. Finally.
1: Yeah. Good job. You don't even need a passport. Yeah, the two towns are like super super bro towns and uh and uh, w- when the Patriots Patriots changed their scoreboard several years ago, they took the old scoreboard up to and, and gave it to
0: some high school in Halifax like it's a real They should run the T up to Halifax. I mean, I know it would be a long long train trip. Yeah, that would underwater. Well, and it would be Maine. Ugh. <laughs> no, no, you go you go, oh, across you go the, the long way. You go across the North Atlantic.
1: Yeah. Well, so uh so during World War One, I, I mean the 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 Canadian Navy only really separated from the Royal Navy um really just sort of uh, a few years prior, and the Royal Navy
0: it was a long and gradual it was long and independence gradual. process. And there was a lot of, I think the
1: conservative position in Canada was that we didn't need, they didn't need their own Navy. They could rely on the Royal Navy. And I think it was really British Columbia uh, that was saying, well, the Royal Navy isn't really over here very much. <laughs> in, the, in the North Pacific? <laughs> we have a lot of islands and smugglers and other stuff. We would kind of, we need our own, we need our own Navy, but the... And it was a it was the liberal position, I guess, politically, that Canada should have its own navy. And the Royal mm. Navy uh, aided the formation of the Canadian Navy by giving the Canadians their most used up, absolutely thrashed, <laughs> and and just rotting we're, old ships. We're not going to
0: give you anything you could shoot at us with. And then they charged them for it. Uh. And like, oh, and
1: and that and that's actually true. Like, they gave the Canadian Navy a few ships. And then they said, but you can't go to sea. Like, the Canadian Navy was like, great, we're going to go down to, to Haiti. We're going to do a tour of the Caribbean. And the Royal Navy was like, no, 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 no. no. That's kind of our no, thing. no, 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 So they had to work that Well, it worked.
0: Out. To this day, the Canadian Navy and the British Navy have never come to – there's never been a single sea battle between the two. Yeah, I suppose
1: that's right. Maybe maybe a couple of friendly fire incidences around, <laughs> uh, around the Falkland Islands. <laughs> but we're talking about 1917. And at this point, there is – um, there's, a, there's tremendous cross-Atlantic traffic uh, around World War I, and this is the heyday of the U-boat, and so it's the beginning of that – it's the dawning of that era of giant convoys of slow-moving ships all traveling together under the protection of Royal Navy destroyers, um, kind of fueling the war effort from the United States. The United States now has entered the war by 1917. Okay. But still there's, there's a lot of, you know, there's so much, um, manufacturing happening in the U S in particular explosives and oil. And, uh, we're supplying the armies of France and, and, uh, the United Kingdom, and
0: so some of that stuff goes via Nova Scotia instead of across directly. Or? All
1: of it, because because again, it's the cr- it's the it's the shortest distance, mm. and in order to avoid exposure to U-boats, there was a kind of like let's all consolidate inside Halifax Harbor. Let's get our convoy together. And the Halifax Harbor was protected by anti U-boat nets strung across the mouth of the harbor. I didn't know U-boats were stopped by nets. They were. So you could you could uh, you could string a net across any kind of shallow opening, and it keeps the U-boats out there. Out there, like do they get do they get Rrr. tangled
0: in it like flypaper? Yeah, or
1: are they just like ah oh, we can't get through that badminton net, sir? No, they get they get tangled in it. And I think some of them have mines attached mm. to them, so so it keeps them from doing that thing that uh that a U-boat would do, which is actually come in the harbor and sink a bunch of ships like right there. Which not if
0: one? not if Tyrion Lannister is on duty in, in Halifax or whatever.
1: Um it's been zero episodes since we made a Game of Thrones reference.
0: Reset the counter. <laughs> <laughs> hey John, have you ever discovered that you were still paying for a service that had renewed automatically or a free trial you thought you had canceled. Oh,
1: this drives me absolutely crazy. It's not, uh, it's not just that I, uh, have, it's that I, that I'm terrified that I'm paying for things that I don't remember. I call these things eels, um, because, I associate them with the idea of like a remora, right? A, a little just a, sucking onto yeah, the
0: the keel of your ship. Yeah, a fish
1: that just grabs on and holds on, and they're they're tiny. But if you have fifty of them on you, they're going to bleed you dry,
0: and you won't notice because each little bite will be so small.
1: No, I hate it, and I look at my bank accounts and I try to figure out like, am I? Is there some mystery thing that renews once a year that I don't know about? Some some old magazine subscription or some. Netflix account that I set up a long time ago that some ex-girlfriend is
0: that I'm still paying for? I, it's the stuff of nightmares, Ken. I just discovered looking at a credit card bill, I happened to see that we had been paid to signed up for some service we never ever used. What was it? I'm not gonna say because they have <laughs> they have advertised on many a podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow they accidentally got signed up. Like we accidentally got signed up for them and the free trial went. And I have a recommendation for you. Like these companies do this on purpose. They want you to forget to renew. That's sure. That's the scam that gets their subscriber base to grow. But if you don't want to let greedy corporations pocket your money, I recommend you download Truebill, Truebill to take care of all your subscriptions. T-R-U-E-B-I-L-L, Truebill? Yeah, it's a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions you don't need, that you don't want, or that you signed up and then forgot about.
1: You know, magazines used to do this thing where they would send you the renew subscription thing, but only halfway through your subscription. Right. So you're like, oh, is it time to renew for Time Magazine? And then pretty soon you realize you've got 15 years worth of subscription paid for.
0: We used to think that was the trickiest thing a corporation would ever do.
1: But who knew? But that, it got worse. Yeah, they could just attach an
0: eel to you forever. So so, bill users find that they save about seven hundred and twenty dollars a year. Oh wow! Um, because they just they take the the difficult, the intentionally difficult cancellation process and turn it into a one click or one tap thing. And they've got a concierge service that you know just takes care of all of the nightmare part of this. Oh, that's cool. Two million users who have saved over a hundred million dollars total. Wow! I mean, I I
1: believe it. I feel like I know so many people that just sort of they, they wantonly subscribe to things. They have one of everything, but a lot of the, a lot of these things you forget even exist. It's not that you forget you signed up for them. Right. You don't even remember what yeah, they were. And
0: it's not that you're like, oh, am I still getting enough use out of this subscription? Like you literally
1: right are paying five ten dollars a month and no idea. So what do What do we do to to sign up
0: for Truebill? Don't fall for these subscription scams, John. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash omnibus. Go right now to Truebill.com slash omnibus. You could literally save thousands of dollars a year. That's Truebill.com slash
1: omnibus. On this particular day in December, uh, Halifax Harbor and Bedford Basin were crammed with ships, ships from all over. And uh among those ships there was a norwegian freighter that was being used as a, 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 a sort of a red cross humanitarian ship it had belgian relief painted on the side of
0: the ship it had it, the words belgian relief belgian or it relief. had the concept of belgian relief painted on it Be, you know belgian a big, relief a big it's a, a big thomas hart Venton mural it's an antacid actually
1: <laughs> uh <laughs> No, it was it was like basically saying hospital ship, yeah. except it was making this it was transiting between the United States where it would collect a bunch of supplies for for the Belgians who um had Germans all around them but the Beleaguered Belgians. Yeah, they were beleaguered. It was very it was very muddy. You know you the, don't want those in a war seasons. is to be beleaguered. It's you gotta, certainly it's gotta be the worst thing. Well you know, you're a Belgian, you're sitting there, the Germans come by, Roar! you're like ah and then, then they're passed for the most part, unless you live
0: in Right on the border. But your, your heart's still going pitter pat.
1: Yeah. And then they're over there and they're presumably eating all the sheeps and pigs and scavenging for
0: you know, they've taken all your silverware. And somebody says, Monsieur, how do you how do you feel? Monsieur. I and you say, I am
1: beleaguered. Yeah. I am so beleaguered. Sacre bleu. Or if you're in the north of Belgium, you go "Ack!" <laughs> <laughs> you got a you Dutch said, you got a Dutch accent say, Let op dremples. <laughs> <laughs> uh so this this ship is now uh, and and so the ship is called the SS Emo. <laughs> really?
0: Yeah. Wow. It, 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 re- related to BMO. That's a good name for a hospital <laughs> ship. Yeah, the Emo. Because <laughs> like battleships are not Emo at all, in my opinion. No, and this is I Emo. Oh, and IMO. Like it, that IMO. imitation sour cream? Did you ever eat that stuff? No. I feel like my parents would always buy Emo brand fake sour cream. I've always just uh, do, eaten the real sour cream. Do they still sell it? Now I'm not. Now I'm only interested in imitation sour cream. It so. might
1: even be a Norwegian product. Do they sell it?
0: Uh, I can't find it. Imitation sour cream sounds so Norwegian to me. I, the rise of emo Phillips and then emo music probably killed emo as a sour as a cream, brand. Right? Please, if you know anything about the corporate history of emo fake sour cream, let us know. But back, to, sorry, back to your hospital ship.
1: So the emo is not actually a hospital ship. It's just taking supplies to Belgium. Okay. It's flying under the Norwegian flag, um, but it is here in Halifax as a stopover. It's made the crossing. This it's stopping over and then the following morning it's meant to uh it's meant to head down to new york to load up and i'm not sure exactly you know nor- norway being neutral the supplies from america which would at that point be a belligerent are still somehow able right. to make does it that, to belgium does that keep the u boats off your back somehow if if yeah, it says belgian and... relief on the side but the the emo is a is kind of an old tramp steamer um, almost all of the ships in our story were, were built in the late 19th century. The Emo was built in 1889. And it's uh, kind of an old-fashioned steamship. Um, it had one propeller, like a right-turning propeller. The ship was long and thin. It was four, over 400 feet long, but only 45 feet wide. Mm. And because the because it was... Sailing empty, you know, it just had ballast to keep it from tipping over, but it was riding really high in the water. So high in the water that the the propeller was kind of half exposed, and the rudder was half out of the water.
0: This is, this must be a known thing with these ships that yeah, that when they're empty, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, they
1: just kind of turn into like um like a skateboard on a on an ice rink, <laughs> uh, not really. And, and, you know, they didn't fill it with ballast because, of course, there's nothing in Belgium at the time. What are you going to fill it with? You know, moss? French fries? Yeah, they probably, the Germans ate all the French fries. Um, so, the boat's riding real high. And it came into Halifax Harbor and was actually scheduled to leave on December 5th, but it couldn't get out in time. It didn't, you know, it didn't get fueled up fast enough. Is it, and that's the crucial coincidence? And they closed the submarine fence. Um, so
0: it was kind of trapped until the next day. I'm sure history would have been very different if that ship had gotten out. If that ship had gotten out. the equivalent of Mark Wahlberg missing his flight. That's exactly it. Um,
1: on the other side of the submarine fence, a ship coming from New York and destined for France, laden with explosives, Mm. gets to the harbor too late. They They close it up at night. They close it up at night. It's like a castle. Yeah. Gets there too late to get through the fence. And in the, in the past, the, the general rule for Halifax Harbor was if you have a ship of explosives, you don't come in to the harbor. You stay off. And if you're unloading explosives or dangerous cargo, you know, you do it by, by smaller ship, you know, you bring it in a little bit at a time. Sensible. No one can say Canada is not sensible. But because it's a wartime situation and because uh, because they're forming up as convoys, uh, they'd kind of su- briefly suspended that rule. And, uh, and this ship, the SS Mont Blanc, was uh was scheduled to arrive and and was going to be led into the harbor the following morning, the morning of the sixth. So the morning of the sixth dawns and the uh the emo is raring to go and the the Mont Blanc is coming in. The emo's going out, the Mont Blanc's coming in. Uh, both ships are being piloted by local Halifax pilots. So the the captain of you the hand emo it over
0: to somebody who knows the local geography.
1: Yeah, and that's true. And that's true anywhere that you've got a busy shipping sure area. The captain of the emo is uh, a a Norwegian by the name of Håkon From, but his pilot is a local
0: guy named William Hayes. I'm looking at the channel. It's maybe I don't know. It's like 1,500 feet wide at its narrowest. Yeah, should be able to get two boats through.
1: You should. Um, and we will see what happened. Uh the Mont Blanc, his uh, the captain of the Mont Blanc is named Aim Le Medec. But uh the pilot is Francis Mackey, a local, you know, local guy. Two local guys. Dressed as the Gorton's fishermen. <laughs> That's right. They're they're they're, the they're yellow they, slicker. They meet coming through the rye. Well, so the the SS Emo is in a hurry. She was supposed to leave the night before, and the pilot is like it's it's crack of dawn. We've we've pulled the fence back. And it's crack of dawn, but it's Nova Scotia in December, so dawn is like 7 30 in the morning. Still, that's early for an emo. Pretty, pretty early for an emo, uh, speaking from first hand experience. <laughs> uh and the um the emo kind of floors it and is exceeding the local speed limit Ooh. on its way out of the of the harbor. And encounters um Encounters a ship kind of coming the other direction. Um, Not not the Mont Blanc. Not the Mont Blanc, but it first encounters a tramp steamer from the United States called the SS Clara. um, And the Clara is kind of coming up the wrong side of the channel. Come on. Classic American overseas, driving on the wrong side of the road. Right. Um, Ships, when they meet head on, are supposed to pass Port side to port side. So just like you're driving on the right side of the road in, uh, in the United States or the other nations of the world, where you drive on the right side of the road, which are, which is to say nearly all of them, not England or Japan. Um, you pass on the, you pass with your left side next to one another. But as the emo is kind of hauling through the channel, uh, it, comes upon the Clara and realizes that it um, that the Clara is there's not room not room so they 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 go to the left meaning they're going to pass them starboard With their to starboard. starboard side too. right and they go zipping by the the Clara at which point they encounter a tugboat the Stella Maris and the Stella Maris is pulling two barges. And the Stella Maris is correctly positioned in the channel, but now the Emo is on the wrong side. On the wrong side. And so the Emo, uh, under the command of of um, William Hayes, decides, well, we're going to go wide on the Stella Maris also. Starboard to starboard. Starboard to starboard. They're going to stay on the side they're on. Okay. The problem is that the Emo is riding so high and has uh, this right... You know this. Uh, this the rudder and the and the the screw are are half out of the water. It's very hard to maneuver the ship. Um, it does not turn on a dime, mm. and because they're going fast, it's just mm. that much harder to control the the ship. And they they don't they seem Hayes seems to feel like he can just hot dog out of here. There's boats everywhere in the harbor. He's just going to kind of. Pointed so there is some human error involved. Pointed out, yeah, he's he's playing pretty. He's a daredevil, pretty fast with this, right? So here comes the here comes the Mont Blanc, and you know Francis Mackey, or Mackey ha, spent the night on the ship. He went out the the evening prior as the pilot, and then they closed the fence. So he he'd spent the evening, I guess, probably drinking two hundred sixty five year old cognac with with Captain Medic, but they're coming in and over a kilometer away, he sees the emo on the wrong side of the channel and he hits his horn. And in the, you know, in the lexicon of boats, one horn is, you know, get, get over, get back in your lane. Well, that's
0: what I use it for when I'm driving. Same, same code. Yeah. And your, your,
1: your all electric car has that exact horn, right? That's right. Um, but in reply, the emo replies with two horns, which is to say, we're not going to change course. We're, we're coming at you. And it's, it's an expression of like, we can't, we can't change course. Really? We're moving too fast. Um, the Stella Maris pulling its two barges kind of, you know, pulls a, pulls like a maneuver, but, you know, and manages to avoid a collision. But now the Emo is pushed way out and is super duper in the wrong lane. The, the, uh, the Mont Blanc hits at the horn again. The Emo re- replies, Bomp, Bomp. And so the, so Francis Mackey cuts the engines. Right. That's, that's where you should. And at this point, the Emo cuts its engines, but they are on a collision course. Oh. And they're both now moving kind of without, without power, just sort of like, you know, like, here we go. Well, the Emo has no way of knowing that the Mont Blanc has on board 200 tons of TNT, 10 tons of gun cotton which is a uh, an explosive form of explosive Is
0: this for military
1: use this, this, is, is, this is all heading for to Europe for the war all for shells and cannons um and then 2300 tons of a, of an explosive called explosive d explosive d has about 100 names it's called lidite it's called picric acid i guess is the uh, is its um you know, sort of chemical composition.
0: The difference is you can't drop a fire new mixtape as the name pic- picric acid. Picric but, but acid. But you could as explosive
1: D. Explosive D. It's also called dunite. Um, and it is a highly volatile explosive. Is it still used? I guess I've never heard of explosive so, D. all this stuff is used in um, in shells and bombs. I mean, a lot of it is, is uh, and this is something I kind of didn't know, until doing this research, a lot of those explosive cannon shells, the, uh, the explosive mixture is actually poured in as a liquid and then solidifies in like TNT goes into those shells as a liquid. One of the things that, def- like yeah, one of the things that defines TNT is that it's a very stable Explosive? Uh, not in Roadrunner cartoons. It's not. Not in Roadrunner cartoons. But in general, TNT was originally uh, discovered, originally developed as a as a yellow dye, like a dye to use in <laughs> and it and for dozens of years, it people who wore yellow kept blowing up, and no one could figure out why. No, they had no idea it was an explosive because it's so stable. Because it's so stable, Ooh. it has to. It, it requires so much sort of heat and. And it's one of the reasons that TNT is so effective as a munition, because something like picric acid, which is less stable. Just breathe on it. Well, and it has a tendency if you shoot a if you shoot a shell at something, the shell explodes the first time it encounters any, you know, it explodes on the outside of the tank. It explodes on the outside of the bunker. Mm-hmm. TNT is stable enough that that you can that the shell will actually penetrate the structure before exploding.
0: So if you see a yellow shirt at the thrift store, maybe maybe be careful. Yeah, it was it it was
1: used as a yellow dye for a long time before before they discovered that it was actually an explosive. But then, to add to the um, to the roadrunneriness of the of the SS Mont Blanc, on the deck of the ship were barrels and barrels and barrels of benzole or benzole which is a kind of unless it's
0: Mexican food unless it's ben, like a Mexican stew
1: benzol benzol uh, and benzol is a is a combination of benzene and toluene it's a it's a kind of a jet fuel or a like a it's a refined sort of gasoline high octane fuel great just what you want and it's up there on the deck well so now here we are in Halifax Bay the uh, it's a it's a maritime not only a maritime province, but a maritime town. And the sound of these ships honking at each other is something that, that a lot of the people in Halifax recognize as like, Oh, that one ship is like, get out of my way. And the other ship is like, no. So it'd be like hearing a foghorn. They They immediately understand the, they know what's the happening. They know it's a conversation. And so people in Halifax turn their attention to the bay. Like what's going on down there? Let's all head down to the... Yeah, there. people get up and look out the window, people come down to the shore like, "Oh, this is an interesting, you know, turn of turn of events on a there's, on a December morning." There's no TV. So the ships are now headed to one, to toward one another. And and somewhere at the last minute, Francis Mackey um, That's the incoming ship, the Mont Blanc. That's the Mont Blanc. says he's going to swing across the bow of the the emo in order to try and avoid a, a head-on collision, get across and, you know, and pass on the other side, like slip past. Mm-hmm. He succeeds in the maneuver and the two ships get next to each other, side by side, parallel, very close to one another. At which point the emo sounds her horn three times, meaning...
0: I'm going in reverse. I'm going to reverse engine. Why would the emo do that? Just to try to stay as stable as possible, as stationary as possible while they're getting past at close quarters? Yeah, or you know or if if it looks like they're inches apart, you
1: know I'm going to put it in reverse and kind of get mm-hmm. away unfortunately the the way that the that the screw on the emo turns, it's a right hand screw, and reversing course causes the boat to yaw.
0: And at the kind of last minute— It's, it's, it's twisting. It's, One it's, end of it is twisting. Either the bow or the stern is twisting toward the Mont Blanc. That's right. It's got, a, it's got what's
1: called transverse thrust, and it twists itself into the Mont Blanc. Now, at this point, they're hardly moving. All they had to do was not,
0: all they had to do was nothing and it
1: would have been fine. All they had to do was stop speeding through Halifax Harbor and stop like going, you know, passing everybody in the oncoming lane. You're such a dad.
0: (laughs) If you hadn't been horsing around in the first
1: place. That's right. All they had to do was get fueled up the night before and get the heck out of Dodge, but they were horsing around. They bump into each other at one knot. You know, it's just just a bonk, but it's enough of a bonk that the barrels of benzol, a few of them tip over on the deck. They tip over and they smash on the deck, and benzol starts uh, washing over the side of the ship down into the holds. The ship is now covered with the deck of of the of the uh, Mont Blanc is now covered with benzol, dripping like, down the this side. This is like
0: a Rube Goldberg. It's crazy disaster.
1: It pours down the now benzol is like soaking the side of the ship all the way down to the water, and then, in the reversing, so now they've bumped, now the emo starts to reverse, and it the two holes dragging against each other spark, and the benzol catches on fire, and the ship you know the side of the ship erupts in benzol flames. Well, everybody on shore in Halifax and all of its environs. Now, Halifax is a city that is made up of several smaller cities, Richmond, Dartmouth. um, There's like a, it's like a municipality.
0: You're very conversant.
1: Yeah. That goes well. In the suburbs of Halifax. I I love Halifax. It's one of the great cities. I keep thinking Halifax is about the size of Anchorage. I keep feeling like maybe Halifax is where I'm destined to live, but I've looked into real estate prices there and it's not cheap to live in Halifax. You want it to be. You want to be like, oh, I'm living in Halifax.
0: That's because Sloan makes it sound so good when they sing about it. That's right. That's it's the, all that's the Sloan That's the main fans. thing.
1: It's Sloan-aganda. Yeah, 5 million Sloan fans can't be wrong. <laughs> or in this case, 50,000 Sloan fans can't be wrong. <laughs> Ken, do you ever order out? I do. You know, in the old days, you had to call a restaurant and say, hello, do you have a delivery driver? Will you bring me my pizza or Chinese food?
0: Uh, yeah, there's nothing that made the pandemic easier and famously the pandemic was such an easy time uh-huh. than the plethora of takeout and delivery options for those of us who were being deprived of our beloved neighborhood restaurants. And it kept a lot of good places alive, honestly, that it did would that, not have survived lockdown. otherwise.
1: That was the thing that seemed most, uh, compelling about it to me as I shamelessly called up, uh, or or
0: rather called
1: up on an app a food delivery service was that some of these restaurants wouldn't have survived without it.
0: I'm just thinking back to some of the delicious meals I had recently thanks to Postmates delivery. I had, there's a Chicago style pizza place in our neighborhood, which is maybe more Detroit style. If it's got a big wall of cheese, what awful Midwestern city is
1: that? I'm gonna call that Detroit style.
0: You uh, know, I'm a I'm a uh
1: I'm a big fan of deep dish pizza.
0: Me too. Yeah.
1: It's not it's not really pizza, but it's something better. Well, you know, I'm not going to get into that. Is it or isn't pizza? Uh,
0: there's a sandwich place near me that serves um, like a Thanksgiving turkey and stuffing and cranberry sandwich mm-hmm. that I really like. Uh, and, and how do you differentiate Postmates from the other uh, delivery services? Like, what what is it that sets it apart? They do more than restaurant food. Like, they'll deliver, you know, if you need a... Uh, uh, Cold remedy from a drugstore. Oh, they'll stop or at 7-Eleven for if you need a phone charger from a box store. I mean, you can order just about anything. I and mean, the app oh. tells you, hey, it just appeared on your porch. Oh, that's oh, cool. Your pocket will go, <laughs> and it'll say you have a Detroit style pizza and cold remedy and a phone charger.
1: See, the, uh, the, the problem around here is often uh, not that we just want dinner, but we also want ice cream.
0: And ice cream is a tough thing to deliver. But Postmates does it. Not for Postmates. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, and you'll find your favorite food, the thing you're craving right now, the shopping thing you don't want to rush out and get. Diet Dr. Pepper. It will appear at your house on demand. Your mother's fudge. Uh, My mother's fudge? Yeah. Does your mom make fudge? Is this some kind of obscure insult? My mom makes fudge, and it's really the best thing. For a limited time, John, I've got some good news for you, yeah. and especially to our listeners. Yes. Yeah. They're giving our listeners a little something. If you're a new Postmates customer, you will get 50% off your first five orders. <laughs> Say what? Five orders? Your first five orders of $50 or more. All you have to do is use code OMNIBUS. Whoa. This is like free money. You almost can't afford not to use Postmates. Code Omnibus will get you 50% off your first five orders of $50 or more. Insane. You could save up to $100 per order. Just download the Postmates app or sign up online. It's super easy. Crazy. That's 50% off
1: your first five orders on the Postmates app if you add the
0: promo code Omnibus? Offer subject to change and taxes and fees apply. Offer valid for 30 days after you add the promo code to your account. Uh, anyway, so the ship catches on fire.
1: Well, no one else in Halifax knows that the Mont Blanc, which is just arriving is like the most, it's just absolutely laden with the most explosive things there are in, in 1917 terms, there, there's none more explosive than this ship, um, and so everybody's like, "Whoa, check it out! The ship's on fire!" Like, hey, mom, come on, check it out. In the harbor, right next to it, um, the uh, the Stella Maris, who's the tugboat? The tugboat watching this all go down realizes that they're you know the closest boat to respond, and they turn their fire hose on and start trying to fire hose the, the ship. You know, put the fire out, but it's not, it's not effective. Moored right there is the HMS Niobe, which is a, a capital ship in the Canadian, in the newly formed Canadian Navy. The Canadian Navy kind of went back. The Royal Navy took over Halifax during World War One. but this was a Canadian Navy ship that, uh, had had performed valiantly for Canada for a very short period after they bought it from the Royal Navy. And it, it only took them a few tours to realize that the ship was, um, salt, rotting. Salt lemon. It was rotting in its, and so they, they berthed it there and it never sailed again, but it was still a Canadian naval vessel. It was being used as a, as a, uh, not just a training vessel, but kind of as a depot. Yeah. They're in the harbor. The sailors on the Niobe um, realized that they were that they needed to, you know, try to tow the Mont Blanc and get her out of the channel.
0: Do they realize that the Mont Blanc is... Or they, they just know it's on
1: fire. They know it's on fire. Now, uh, Captain Aim Le Medec is... They have abandoned ship because he rea- he realizes this fire is out of control and this boat is a bomb. And so the crew abandon ship into their lifeboat. Even the captain? Uh, even the captain, and they start pedaling to get out of there. And he is shouting to everyone who can hear: Is les bombes? Les explosives! Uh, les
0: explosives! Très formidable! Uh, Sacre bleu! Uh, you know, always isn't the captain supposed to go down with his exploding ship? Not always, not always.
1: Yeah. Uh, so he's trying to alert everybody, but of course he's in the middle of a of a like a clanging busy harbor. He can't get anyone's attention. Um, and they wisely, being the only people in the harbor that know what's happening, get the heck out of dodge. Uh, the the Niobe and the Stella Maris, the two crews you know, are working to get a line to the ship. Um, They're trying to, you know, they're, they're out kind of in their little uh, like rowboats working hard to, to, um, to get her off of. And she's at this point has sort of drifted. So she's drifting now. There's no crew.
0: The engines were off anyway.
1: She's drifted uh, over into the Richmond side of the Harbor. And, at nine o four a.m., the, the the fire reaches the payload, or the TNT heats up, or the picric acid finally, you know, the 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 knee bone connects to the hip bone.
0: Explosive D lives up to its
1: name, and the ship goes up, and it explodes with such force that the that briefly the 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 basin, the 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 floor of the Narrows is exposed. Wow!
0: The the, explo- the water is pushed aside all the way to the floor, all the way to the, so so the channel.
1: Yeah, bare ground of the channel is revealed. Fish flapping around. Fish flapping around. The um the ship the the Mont Blanc is vaporized.
0: Wow!
1: Um, it uh the you know the kind of carcass of the ship goes a thousand feet in the air. There's a sixty foot tsunami.
0: And, and the, it's a 60-foot tsunami, and shore is just like a few hundred feet away, Sure, right? it's just sitting right there. It's not uh, even a few hundred
1: feet away. The boat is just right there. Oh, man. But it sends the tsunami, you know, uh, uh, across to Dartmouth. It's, uh, it, goes, it basically destroys central Halifax. Um, in the explosion, because so many people are watching, just like looky-looing, yeah. um, 250 people who didn't die— Lost at least one eye, just from the the brightness of the, or, or from shrapnel. Oh, oh, stuff flew at them. Thirty-seven people were uh, were permanently blinded. Jeez. The boat, uh, the 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 Mont Blanc, vaporized and became um, and liquefied. So it sent like metal, like pellets. There are neighborhoods in Halifax where you can dig in the ground and and there's still like shards of the Mont Blanc, little tiny uh, metal pellets. The boat just flew everywhere in specs. It flew everywhere in specs. Oh. Um, the, uh, the can- there was a cannon on the Mont Blanc because all these boats had, by this point in time, had long histories. Like the Mont Blanc was built in 1899. The uh, the Emo was 1889. The The... Uh, S Clara, the boat that, that was kind of headed in the wrong direction in the first place was 1882. Um, all, you know, they're, they all had had long lives and the cannon from the Mont Blanc, which was a 1200 pound cannon flew two miles and is now a public park. Like they, where it landed. Yeah. They put the cannon, you know, they put the cannon on a pedestal and they're like, here's, here's cannon park. Crazily, the anchor of the Mont Blanc flew two and a half miles in the opposite direction. It weighed uh, over a sure. thousand pounds. So, uh, and the anchor is in a park <laughs> called Anchor, anchor Park, on, and it's on Anchor Road. Uh, this was like, this was the, the singular event in Halifax history. Absolutely it, In the, no, in the
0: nothing else has ever happened there. <laughs> it's the single event. In yeah,
1: there. I mean, it, it it wiped out the town. Um, I mean that's the biggest event in the
0: western hemisphere like that's a I mean globally it's the largest explosion that ever yeah. that ever happened I mean nothing can beat it but, up until that point But like right. as a 911 st- uh scale you know humanitarian disaster and just loss of life and spectacle like it's as it's as good as anything that I mean good it's as terrible as anything that happened in the early 20th century Yeah
1: yeah and and a lot of these things no one had ever seen before like the smoke cloud was 20,000 feet high. Well, no one uh, uh, outside of a volcano, yeah, no one would have ever seen a mushroom cloud, for instance, that big. Um, the city hall clock, very much like Back to the Future, is
0: forever stopped at 9.04 a.m. Oh, to this day, to this day, that's nice as a little memorial. I'm uh, sure they could fix it. And
1: all over Halifax, there are, um, there are little you know, signs and memorials. Everybody's got a story. A lot of people lost a lot of family members. St. Paul's church has a iron spike that just got embedded in a doorway. That's still there, but even weird, more, more weird, uh, upstairs. There's a, there's a stained glass window that supposedly you can see the shadow of the profile of a church deacon who was like standing there, like standing there and got, not it's not like it, Hiroshima. He didn't get vaporized, but he got he got
0: died, and his shadow is still on the window. I mean, that's the same at Hiroshima, I think. Just the the, the people blo- the people that were standing on the street blocked some of the whatever the bleaching effect of the of the flash of the flash, right? Yeah.
1: Of course, immediately there was oh, and, uh, and strangely, and this is this is the amazing thing: no one from the crew of the Mont Blanc died, except for one soldier who was uh who was. Pierced by some flying shrapnel.
0: They got far enough away. They got far enough away, and they were fine. I wonder if being at sea level was better. Like, I wonder if stuff went up. A lot of people died
1: uh, on both the um, the Stella Maris and the Niobe. What about the Clara that caused the whole thing? The the emo. Oh, the Clara just kept on. I know that's what I'm saying. Those, yeah. those guys <laughs> yeah. just got out of there. Yeah, they did, and they no, nobody yelled at them. Um, the emo actually was lifted out and then pushed by the tidal wave into like beached destroyed uh the crew died you know the the all the um like Hayes and and uh From
0: all hands just died in the
1: collision They died in the in the explosion not in the collision the collision
0: Well I guess like, I mean the collision with the shore
1: <laughs> No I think they were I think the explosion was so great that it killed them at their posts oh. maybe I think there was one crewman that survived because he was bending down to tie his shoelaces or whatever um but they actually refloated the emo and and it continued uh to be a it was renamed and went on and had a, not a long life but a but a life was, was emo renamed like shoegaze or something yeah it was named i think it was actually named something like the colonel or <laughs> or it had it ended up having a weird name and it, and it had some it got into some scrape and i think it ended up sinking in the falkland islands because that's where all all great Halifax ships go to die in the South Atlantic, um, but public sentiment was at the time very anti-French, and you can imagine in Canada it being somewhat complicated. Your feelings about the French at any given time, sure. But there was so everyone
0: blamed the the Mont Blanc. Yeah, they
1: blamed the Mont Blanc, not uh, without
0: reason, I guess.
1: A judge, uh, a judge was appointed, Justice Drysdale, who. Uh, took everything into consideration and decided that if you are uh, the captain of a ship full of picric acid, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. It's still your responsibility to not catch your ship on fire. Fair enough. So even if everybody else in Halifax is riding around on jet skis shooting Roman candles. Um, it's got to sit tight till it's safe. You got to figure it out. Yeah. Right. And so uh, Mackie as the pilot.
0: And uh, Le Medec were, were both put on trial. Um, Man, I wonder what it's like to be those guys and know that 2,000 people are dead because of your questionable piloting. Well, they both said, oh, and also I feel like the guy
1: that was running the gate, the net, yeah. was also held partly responsible, that he shouldn't have let the ship through the net.
0: Like, or, the, like the night before?
1: Yeah, or the, or that morning. Yeah. Um, but it... But they, these Mackie in particular made a case that like, wait a minute, you can't prosecute me for this. Like I was just driving the boat like a normal guy. And these guys who are now dead, the emo bumped into me. me And so uh, in the end, no one was successfully prosecuted. Ultimately, the Supreme Court of Canada declared both parties equally responsible because of course both shipping companies were suing each other for damages.
0: And maybe the most culpable people had not survived.
1: Yeah, everybody. I mean, who? it's hard to know. Yeah. You're kind of piecing it together. But the city of Boston enters into it because, as I said, the the um, the city of Boston and the yeah, city so, of Halifax— So far, this
0: has been pretty light on Yuletide cheer, yeah, John. Yeah, right. Well, like so many Christmas stories. It, right. Right? It's got to start with a, a scary ghost or a, sure. or a, a savings on loan guy trying to jump off a bridge. You know, the little matchstick girl— Dies. That's not a Christmas story, but okay,
1: <laughs> it isn't. What is? How is the little matchstick girl not a Christmas story? Oh, it's the little drummer boy. I always get those two confused.
0: They're both little, and one they're you know two of of many possible genders. Honestly, if you've got a baby in a stable, you'd probably rather have a street a, a shivering street urchin than a kid playing the drum.
1: Yeah, right. Thank you. Uh, the city of Boston hears about this via telegraph, and immediately rallies and puts together an entire train of uh, relief supplies, hospital stuff. This must have been a big cause, like
0: a Katrina-style humanitarian effort.
1: They fill the train with nurses and doctors. Um, Boston, like, like rallies. They put this crazy train together, and they send it immediately that night. You know, by 10 p.m. that night, they send the train off to Halifax. The train gets caught in a blizzard, so it doesn't get there the following day. But uh, the next day, the train arrives, and at this point, of course, it's uh, the temperatures are below freezing. Halifax is completely destroyed. Everybody in the medical, all the hospitals have been overflowing. Everybody is absolutely at their last, uh, using their last reserves of strength. And then here comes this train from Boston. The the uh, the ho ho ho, Mary the Polar Express. Uh, Polar Express, full of yummy clam chowder, and
0: <laughs> Boston sent all the clam chowder and, <laughs> and baked beans it had available, and
1: uh, and nurses and doctors, and it arrives, and Halifax, which felt like they were you know at the end of the earth, and and how how was help even going to arrive? You know the the nation of Canada reeling, not even sure. Probably most of them where Halifax is, and here comes this train from Boston. And so, this tremendous goodwill that already existed between Halifax and Boston is just cemented. And the following year at Christmas time, the city of Halifax sends a giant Christmas tree via, you know, like this beautiful sort of big spruce. They send it down to Boston as a as a thank you gift. How do you think you do that? You load it on the back of a truck? Yeah, you put it on a train. Um. Send it. It's the it's the, uh, the train going the other direction. In
0: 1918,
1: I don't know how many... I'm like,
0: just, just wondering how they do it today. Like, how do they, you know, when they're always like, this is from the great North Woods," and here it is at the White House or Rockefeller Center. Like, do they, can you put a... I guess you can tie it up like a Christmas tree and just put it on the top of your car. Well, we know how they do it to this
1: day, because in 1971, um, the Lundenberg, the, the Halifax-based Lunenburg Christmas Tree Company... Because apparently one of the industries in Halifax is Christmas trees. It's tree farming. Um, and sending Christmas trees to the United States.
0: Haligonians and Oregonians are not so different after it's all. It's Christmas tree farms. That's right.
1: It's Christmas tree farms all the way down. <laughs> Lunenberg says, hey, why don't we, rev- uh, you know, like resurrect this tradition and we'll send Boston a Christmas tree from Halifax or from Nova Scotia. You know, as a as a thank you and and to cement the goodwill between our great cities. When
0: is this? Seventy one. Nineteen seventy one. Okay, so it's been it's been over fifty years since the disaster, but. Um,
1: and they send the train down. So there's, or or they send the tree down. There's a train that runs between Boston and Halifax. Uh, that's that's a, you know, that's a, a train over a hundred years old. Um, that was like a weekend train, right? If you were, if you were a Boston brahmin business person and you didn't want a is vacation that, in kennebunkport
0: was it the daddy train
1: it was called the blue nose mm. uh, which is the daddy train of 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 the east <laughs> and so this blue nose route um although i don't think it anymore carries passengers it's still the blue nose still makes this transit as a freight train between the two cities because halifax and halifax is this incredible shipping. Uh, an incredible port, a diverse port. And so a lot of the, the stuff that's coming into Boston goes into Halifax and then comes via the blue nose. Weirdly, this is a completely crazy aside, but after the dissolution of Pan Am airways in the early Mm nineties, Pan Am, the great airline of the 20th century went bankrupt. The Pan Am name, got sold at some auction as they were tearing apart the, the, you know, this incredible, like the, at the time that Pan Am went out of business, it was like the second most recognized trademark in the world after Coca-Cola. And they just sold the name. They sold the name to some regional airline that flew from Provincetown to, to, uh, Grand Bahama. Mm-hmm. That airline went out of, uh, Went bankrupt. They sold the name to an even more regional airline that went from Amarillo to, to Fort worth. That thing went bankrupt. They sold the name a couple of more times. And ultimately the, the name and logo of Pan Am airways was purchased by the Guilford transportation industries corporation, which ran the blue nose freight train from Halifax to Boston.
0: Wait, do they use it? Is the is and the Pan they, Am airline logo on this tr- freight train? And they
1: changed the name. Guilford was like, well, what should we do? Keep Guilford Transportation or change our name to Pan Am? They changed their name to Pan Am Railways using the Pan Am logo from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Wow.
0: On their regional freight train from Halifax to Boston. Squad goals. Like this just makes me want to buy some defunct company's IP when it goes out of business. And yeah
1: just own, own own the AT&T sphere or yeah, something. Yeah, right. Just Ken Jennings's IBM coffee <laughs> shop. Uh and they only just in 2020 sold Pan Am Railways to the giant railway conglomerate CSX.
0: So they're not going to use the logo
1: anymore probably. Well, maybe CXS is gonna, CSX is going to CSX is going to change their name to Pan Am. If they're nostalgic. That is that would be so brilliant. Anyway, starting in 1971, this then became a tradition between the two cities. And ever since then, every year in the fall, some resident of Nova Scotia either comes forward and volunteers, because the thing is, you can't just pick a a tree out of a forest, right? A Christmas tree has to be a tree that kind of stands apart because you want it to be symmetrical. You want the tree to be big and tall and round.
0: And this is one of these enormous christmas trees for some public space on boston commons or whatever
1: so they they erected in boston commons it's generally supposed to be 40 or 50 feet tall 12 to 16 meters for our international listeners that's bigger than my christmas tree it's smaller than the rockefeller center tree by about half but boston is smaller than new york by more than half and canada smaller than the united states by well more than half. yeah population wise (laughs) yeah um so every year uh there's, there are actually people whose job it is throughout the year to wander around Nova Scotia and look at trees in people's yards and or farms and going, you know, ring the doorbell like, hey, have you ever thought about donating your tree to the
0: Halifax, Boston? These are not cultivated Christmas trees. This is just a, a nice evergreen on somebody's back acreage. Yeah, and people and, – uh, and apparently within
1: Nova Scot- Scotia culture and Halifax city culture – um, it's considered a great honor to. I would think so. Donate your big tree to give the
0: city of Boston to, its, its annual tree to give the city of Boston for their help in the in the Halifax explosion. I do think it's a bummer that they get cut down. Like I wish there was
1: a way for like, them to just
0: send it with the root ball, root, root it, yeah, uproot yeah. it, and I mean, take it know. down. I mean, I guess it means you got a new giant evergreen in the on Boston Common every year. It's probably not sustainable. Yeah, it
1: does feel. What was the the one in Rockefeller Center where they uh they they had erected it already in Rockefeller Center, and then they realized there was an owl living in it. Oh, I remember that this. it that had made the whole journey and was still just up there. Like, ooh, this is the plot of a Chip and Dale
0: cartoon. <laughs> I mean, it does feel like a children's book. Owlie the Owl in the Big City. So to this day, the Halifax explosion is remembered every Christmas. I
1: guess. Yes. Yeah, so uh, our listeners. Uh, the futurelings of the present who are living in either Halifax or Boston. And the journey that the train makes on, or on the blue nose that that the tree makes is actually a thing where children, school children in Halifax line up to watch the, the tree leave, and school children in Boston line up to see it arrive.
0: This is all very hands-across. This is why there has not been a war between Massachusetts and Nova Scotia. That's right. Ever since that time. There's still It still is possible that there uh, could be a
1: war between Massachusetts and Newfoundland, uh, but uh, only futurelings will know. They better start
0: sending us trees. And that concludes the Halifax Explosion, entry 562.JB0409. Certificate number 21795 in the Omnibus. Uh, As you enjoy your holiday merriment in whatever century you find yourselves, um, feel free to visit at Omnibus Project, uh, where we were social media uh, slaves in our day. Just working in the old Twitter mines, slaving away. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was at Ken Jennings. John was at John Roderick. You can see his Patreon, among other things. You could email us at the theomnibusproject at gmail.com with your, with your downtime over the holidays. Um, if you would like to mail us any kind of festive Boxing Day gifts, you can send those to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington 98155. We already got a fruitcake. What? Uh, recently. You remember the fruitcake? Oh, sure, sure, sure. The Trappist fruitcake. And we just got from Meg... Uh, something she, well, it's a, it's a facsimile of something she found in her attic. She said her grandpa worked at Pratt and Whitney for 40 years. Okay. And, and when she died and was going through his stuff, she found the Pratt and Whitney aircraft 50th anniversary booklet, which she wanted you to have, John, because it combined, combining as it does your interest in military aircraft and fashions of the 1970s. She did not want to give away her grandpa's own copy, but she found a duplicate online. <laughs> oh,
1: so cute. And I wonder, she might it also you.
0: have a Jefferson Bible in there somewhere. Yeah, you never know what's up there. Um, oh, this is cool. She says, yeah, you don't even need to know what month or year that was from, because you can almost tell by the outfits.
1: You, can't, you can tell by the city buses. And here. the mustaches
0: on the men. Yeah. Thank you, Meg. That's what. a lovely uh, holiday gesture. So many plaid pants. <laughs> you can uh, <laughs> you can find your fellow listeners like Meg and others at uh, by looking up the future links on Facebook or Discord or Reddit. Um, most importantly, for the health and future of the show, uh, we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters at Patreon.com/slash Omnibus Project during this festive. Season of the year. If you would like to do a little something for the less fortunate, you should do that. But you should also do something for the more fortunate, John and myself. Yeah, or the me- medium fortunate to help fund the show. Uh, we are grateful for all support and we certainly reciprocate in terms of the cool new perks, including a monthly bonus show that our uh, Patreon supporters can enjoy. Merry Christmas, John.
1: Merry Christmas, Ken, and happy. Winter holiday to all of my fellow agnostic, happy solstice uh, believers, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, happy other uh, religion holidays that have winter holidays, which I think is all of
0: them. Some have probably passed, and we didn't say happy Hanukkah, and we apologize. What's up, yo yo? Uh, happy Kwanzaa, happy
1: to everyone. Also to those of you to all happy uh, happy no belief winter. Time to uh, I just said because
0: they all believe in science and the move, the movement of the sun. I bet you right now they all now believe in orbits and
1: perihelions and whatnot. We have some QAnon uh, listeners who do not believe. Who uh, they probably believe in Christmas, but they don't believe in. Oh, they're flat earthers. Heliotropic uh,
0: universe, heliocentric. So we need to. Wh- uh, yeah, what winter holiday do you celebrate if you're a if you're a non-believing um, flat earther? Happy happy uh, um, happy pizza child abuse. Happy Grinch uh, celebration Christmas special.
1: Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past. We have no idea how long I s- our civilization survived or if you recognize any of these holidays, you're probably celebrating ectoplasm Mondays.
0: We love ectoplasm
1: Monday. We all get pizza. We get a pizza party. <laughs> we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the honor.